All right. Can you guys hear me? Okay. It is working. You know, I apologize. They moved the rows back because they put me under quarantine since I'm still sick. So I think it's just to make sure you don't get sick from me. I think that's what happened here. But uh, again, I just want to thank Adam and Bethany for sharing today. And man, has our worship team really led us in worship this morning? I mean, that's phenomenal. And, uh, you know, Demi and Jatil, what a beautiful song. Uh, that's a little taste of the Women's Day uh, for the brothers who didn't get to experience that. And again, I, I really want to lift up the women for a phenomenal event. Well over 400 again in attendance. Uh, that's incredible. I know many women were in the background serving to make that happen, but I, I especially want to highlight one who really is the driving force, and that's my wife, Leanne. And, and the reason I do that is, oh, so it's a very special day today. It is her birthday. So we don't always sing happy birthday in every Sunday service, but it's my wife. So you're going to have to grace me that one. So... Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Leanne, happy birthday to you. <laughs> Leanne, I love you. So glad God brought you into this world, but especially into my life. I hope this is a special day for you. See, celebrating, I don't remember what anniversary of her 25th birthday. So that's what you learned to do, amen? But uh, I also just want to thank our AV team and, of course, uh, Nicole Racer in the back who's helped with AV. Uh, we got a new system running, and it's running smoothly, and so we just want to thank them as well. All right, we're going to continue our spirit in Acts. You know, we left off last week. We saw that the Spirit of God allowed the martyrdom of Stephen to advance the message of Christ out of Jerusalem and to begin to go to the rest of the world. You know, Philip, just like Stephen, who had received the miraculous gifts through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he went out, he went to Samaria, preached the word, great things happened. And we learned from that story that the message was more important than the miracles when we saw the encounter between Simon formerly the sorcerer, and the apostles. We continue today, as the Spirit not only leads disciples, whether it's Philip or ourselves, to many, but sometimes even to just individuals, in sometimes the most unexpected places. Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, now that's pretty cool for evangelism, I don't know if you have an angel in the morning tell you that, but... You know, he, he, he knew what he had to do each day. Go south to the road, the desert road. You know, sometimes when the Spirit wants to lead us to someone, it may not be where you want to go. It may be a dusty desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, you notice, the angel didn't tell him who he was going to meet. And often the way the Spirit leads us, it may not tell us who we're going to meet. It just says, go. Puts that little nudge in your heart. Do you ever feel that? And as you're going, someone appears on the path. Someone appears next to you. Someone's in front of you at the store line or sitting down at a bench park. God is, is, is orchestrating, but he uses you. And we've got to listen to the Spirit. And so Philip just went, and who's he meet? An Ethiopian eunuch. 
Now, if that's where we ended, you go, oh. See, because we got to understand, a eunuch, not a very good situation, especially to the Jews. That was looked down upon. Because of being a eunuch, they wouldn't even be allowed in the temple. But that's not the kind of eunuch we have here. Someone a little more important, despite his situation. An important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This isn't just some man. This is an opinion leader. This is a man of influence and power. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. That says a lot about this guy. First of all, he already knows because he's not a Jew. He's an Ethiopian. So he's already a foreigner. Plus now he's also a eunuch, which means he's not even allowed to be in the temple. And yet what does he do? He travels hundreds of miles to go worship. That says something about this man. It goes on. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now that says something else. This man wasn't just temporarily faithful or believer. He invested in this. You know, they didn't have Bibles back then, guys. He had to use some of his own investment and effort to get his hands on an actual writing of Isaiah. And it wasn't a book. It was probably a scroll. That, that, that says something. I mean, how much are we really willing to invest? Our time, our giving, our gifts to know God and to worship him. You know, an angel could have gone directly to the eunuch. We're going to see later an angel does do that to a Gentile. But the Spirit wants to use a disciple of Jesus to deliver the message. See, guys, when we claim to be followers of Christ, then we're also taking on that mantle, just like Philip, just like Stephen, just like the apostles, that we too are the messengers that we too are the ambassadors, that we too need to bring the message of Jesus to everyone the Spirit leads us to. This encounter today is going to teach us a lot about evangelism. Now, I want to, to describe, for one, evangelism is just a word. It's not something we just do. It's something we are as followers of Christ. And I see as we look at the story We're going to learn some things about biblical evangelism that applies to every single one of us who claims to follow Jesus. Already, just from this first verses, number one, what do we learn about evangelism? God is interested in the salvation of every individual. Let that sink in for a minute. God is interested in the salvation of every individual. There's a passage in 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 that verifies this, confirms it. It says in verse 3, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, that doesn't mean everyone will. Because Jesus also said the road is narrow and few find it. But that's not a question of God's desire. That's a question of our response. Is our heart open? Are we humble? Are we listening to God's moving in the Spirit? guarding our hearts and protecting our hearts and leading our hearts. God wants everyone to come to a knowledge of him. So we got to ask ourselves, if we're going to be true disciples of Jesus, are there any individuals we neglect? There's something we need to ask. Is there someone that you particularly like, I don't want to talk to them. Then you don't understand the heart behind evangelism. What if someone felt that way about you and never shared the gospel with you? 
Sometimes we forget where we were. Someone was willing to share with us. Number two, we learn. God knows the spiritual condition of every individual. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, one, we know it from John chapter 2, verse 23. Here's the New Living Translation. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. God knows our spiritual condition. Why is this important? Think of this scenario. Here's Philip, been in Samaria, incredible success, preached to many. Many came to faith. But the Spirit also knew, because God knows what's going on. Man, there's this eunuch who's not accepted being a eunuch, not accepted being a foreigner, but man, he desires me. He's willing to come all the way to Jerusalem just to, to read about me. He even purchased a scroll or acquired a scroll, and he's reading it on the way back. This guy is seeking me. He may think he's already found me, but he needs to know the whole truth, and I'm concerned about him knowing the whole truth and not just accepting what he thinks is good enough. So I need to send a disciple of Jesus to him. Jesus knows the spiritual condition of every individual. We don't. We can think we do. How many of us ourselves thought, I'm a Christian? Just like Adam and Bethany were sharing. I thought I was a Christian for 23 years. Nope. Jesus knew what was really going on, and he put a disciple in my path. He was smart, put a cute one in front of me. That helped. That got me at least in the door. I repented quickly. Okay. It's a great sister, thankful to her. I found a beautiful one. God gave me. But God knows our condition. He even knows our sinful nature. He might even use it to bring you to him. So do we really believe that? If God really knows the spiritual condition, then we've got to have this heart that whoever comes in our path is opportunity to share the gospel message. Three, we cannot be selective in whom we share the message Like I said earlier, the fact this man was a eunuch makes this encounter even more special. Under the Mosaic system, he was forbidden to worship in the temple. See, I don't think we realize, and religion is easier than we would like to admit, that we discriminate. The most segregated day of the week is the day we all supposedly worship the same God. We discriminate in the church by race, by economic or social status, sometimes even gender, marital status, personality, and all this, not just in our relationships with each other, but even in whom we're willing to share the message with. Some of us can even be anti-leadership. Well, we're not going to go after opinion leaders. I'll show you a church that doesn't help any opinion leaders, and you'll see a church that will die very quickly. A church needs leadership. It also needs other people. Worship leaders, king, children's ministry leaders, all kinds of different people for it to work. But it needs leaders. God knew this, this official had influence. Are we selective in who we share the message with? Then we don't have the heart of true evangelism. You've got to ask yourselves, do you tend to just share with a particular race? 
then you're not like Jesus. He's a Jew. If that's what he did, none of us would be here except those who are Jewish. Do you share a particular social status, marital status, gender? Now, some of that might be wise. I don't often share with a lot of women. If anyone, as an opportunity comes, I give them my wife's phone number, not my number. So I think we've got to be wise with that. But we've got to ask ourselves, are we selective? I appreciate Philip. He's like, hey, the Spirit said, go on the road. Whoever it is, no matter what their background, no matter what their circumstance, they need to hear the message. I hope we can take that to heart and really look deep, guys, because there's a lot of hurting people out there, and we should be the last ones to judge them. Amen? Acts 8, verse 29, let's continue the story as we learn more about biblical evangelism. The Spirit told Philip, now again, that's, I, I, that is cool. I mean, because wouldn't that be nice as we're going to school, we're going to our job, we're going to the store, wherever we're going, in our neighborhood, that we don't have to go, uh, the Spirit just goes, him. Oh, okay. I mean, that, that'd be nice. Her, yeah. Well, we already know, don't be selective. So it's pretty much anyone. But it, would, it must have been nice for Philip, like him, right? But maybe the Spirit is saying that to us. But because of the selective way we share or think about people, we don't hear the Spirit. Maybe that's why it could speak to him. I don't know. It's just a thought. But I think that's really powerful. The Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. The Spirit's very specific. So I can just imagine Philip going, okay, here's a chariot. I'm sure there's this important official. He's got all his servants. And he's like... Who's this dude, man? He's dusty. He's like some Jew. I mean, like, why is he hanging around? You need some scraps? I mean, what's up? I mean, you can imagine, but Philip just obeyed. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, I don't know about any of you. We've been through this. We've experienced this. You're, you're about to share with someone all of a sudden, they're reading the Bible. Yes! Right? You're like, I can talk about that. At least I hope you can. Right? I mean, that's exciting when someone has a Bible out. You're like, yeah. But sometimes they can be very defensive too, can't they? But this isn't a coincidence. Remember the other point of Anselm. God knows the spiritual condition. Not a surprise. That's what Philip hears. But look what he does. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. What's this teach us? The Spirit desires to be active in our evangelism. Do you get that? The Spirit wants to be aside with you, along with you. Because it knows God is communicating to the Spirit what's going on in the hearts and women. What's going on? The hearts of men and women. And if we're listening, it wants to help us to be effective. Don't you know that? Haven't you experienced that? When you're in a store and you just, you're, you're kind of fighting your courage, whether you can share or not, and, and you leave, but you just, something like just, oh, no, I got to share. Maybe that's the spirit. Trying to actively engage with you. That, I don't know about you, but that kind of excites me to think the spirit wants to actively participate in my evangelism. That I'm not alone. Now, it doesn't always be successful because not everyone's going to respond. But that's not the point. The point is for us to follow the leading of the Spirit. We don't know what's in the heart, 
but God does. You got to really ask yourselves, are you listening to the Spirit? Because it wants to work with you, amen? Amen. Five, the message must be explained to be understood. This is very important. See, I don't believe it was a coincidence that the eunuch was reading Isaiah. I think like anyone, he wanted some hope for his condition, his situation. He wanted purpose. He wanted direction. He wanted to know his life meant more than his circumstance, being a eunuch. More than just being an official. Maybe he enjoyed that. But something drove him to seek something even more than what he had. Well, when you go to Isaiah 56, verse 3, I wonder if this is one of his favorite passages. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. He wasn't even allowed to be in the temple. And here's what God says, though, that not even the foreigner should be excluded. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. What? That's talking to me. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who chooses what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. If you were a eunuch, these words would be amazing. They could not have a child. Physically, technically, impossible. And yet because of God, they would have something greater. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. They didn't need children to continue a legacy. You don't have to have children to continue a legacy of faith. Because everyone you come in contact is your legacy. Everyone you share the message with is your legacy. The girl who met me, I'm part of her legacy. Julianne Jordan, Charles Waller, the one who first studied with me, I'm part of their legacy. When they come to heaven, I'm going to probably be right there with them. And whoever you've been, been allowed God to work through you, they're going to be with you. There's going to be a big crowd up there. It's pretty exciting. He traveled many miles. He invested time and effort, even to just get a copy of Isaiah. And yet, he still did not understand. This is huge for us. He was religious, but still had much to learn. See, saving faith cannot come without accurate biblical understanding. So many denominational faiths today hold to a salvation, sinner's prayer, believing in the heart, accepting Jesus in your heart, that was never commanded or exemplified in the Bible. We can twist scripture to say almost about anything, but you can't make the Bible do that. Let me give you an example. This whole idea of accepting Jesus into your heart. This is a common denominational practice and non-denominational practice. I just have to call on the name of the Lord, accept in my heart, and at that moment I'm saved. This is what's taught, this is what's believed. And this is the context that they use to support it. Romans 10. I'll use the very verses they use. And then I'll use those same verses to show you how twisted it got. Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, okay, at least that's good, at least it's talking about lordship, giving your life to him, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him 
will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this is what they use to say, okay, this, it doesn't matter who you are. You just need to ask God to forgive you. You just need to call on his name, accept him in your heart, accept Jesus in your heart. Man, how many times did I do that? And I had to do it again and again. And they teach that as actual salvation, which that's not what actually it's talking about. The actual context of the whole chapter, if you read it, is really Paul addressing the problem of the Israelites' unbelief that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. That's the context of the passage. But some believe that all we have to do is profess and accept Jesus in our heart. And at that moment, we are saved. However, even the phrase they use, that's incorrect. Do you see what it says? Will be saved. That means at some future point. It does not say, those who come in the name of the Lord are saved. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say at the moment you call, that moment when you accept him in your heart, you are. It doesn't say that. Tense means everything in the scriptures. Even Jesus used that to the Pharisees when they questioned him. How do you say the son of? He, he is the son of. Isaac, Abraham. In other words, they're still alive. Is, not was. Tense. So it's saying, you call on the name of the Lord. At some future point, the process of calling his name could and will lead to being saved. But not at the moment. But yet that's where they stop. And they say, this is how we accept Jesus. If only they'd read a little further. Go to Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. There's a process in this calling. And it involves Jesus. It involves the message of his teaching. And nowhere does Jesus teach or ever exemplify accepting you in his heart. That's not what it says. He gave us very specific commands. He gave Peter the key to open the kingdom. And how did he say? You've got to repent and you've got to be baptized as a disciple of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And then you'll receive the gift. There's no accepting Jesus in your heart. So we can twist the scripture, but you can't twist the Bible. This eunuch, like all of us, needed more than just faith. He needed someone to explain the message to him. The message of true salvation. That's where I was. 23 years, many different denominational faiths, non-denominational faiths. I believed, I thought. But if you looked at my life, it didn't represent Christ. And finally, someone was willing to ask me, do I understand? And I remember how humbling that moment was. Well, here I'm claiming I've been a Christian for 23 years. Tell me, how do you become a Christian? 
Well, you accept Jesus in your heart. Well, where's that in the scriptures? Um, well, this scripture. Okay, let's read a little further. I didn't even know the books of the Bible. I had to get help. Where, where's that gospel? 23 years. How many of us are just so arrogant that hold on to tradition or faith that came from man and not from the word? And I could have just gone on from there and said, no, I'm a Christian. I don't care what you have to say. I could have done that. I'm so thankful they didn't let me just walk away. They were willing to confront me. Let's see how God, through the Spirit, uses Philip to explain it to the eunuch. Acts 8, verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. I love God's sovereignty. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This leads to point six of biblical evangelism. The word of God is absolutely essential in evangelism. We can't share our opinions, our little track. We've got to use the word of God. We can't even just use a scripture because that can be twisted as we've already learned. We've got to have the Bible. How many times when I joined this church, people would come up and say, so what's, what's your doctrine? And the answer was always this. And they'd hand me the Bible. And I learned to do the same thing. What's your doctrine? This. No, no, no. Like, do you have like some little pamphlet, some little track? No, this. Guys, the Bible. I think some of us are too shy of really laying out the word of God. If they were shy with me, I would have walked away thinking I'm a Christian and never would have become one. we got to use the Word of God. And man, when someone that you're sharing with is reading the Word, use the very word passage they're using. It will lead to Christ at some point. I mean, what a scripture. I mean, I could tell Philip was just licking his chops. Oh, I could talk about that passage. Could you? Do you realize that the disciples of the first century didn't have a New Testament yet? They had to use the Old Testament to teach true discipleship. Did you ever try that one before? I've done it. It's actually fun. It's, it's there. Truth is truth. God's calling to be a true believer is there, even in the Old Testament. All the same principles. It's a fun study. You ought to try it sometime. You've got to use the Word of God. Amen? The passage he's quoting is from Isaiah 53, a prophetic passage of the suffering servant whom we know... Jesus Christ. How can we be effective in teaching others if we don't know the scriptures ourselves? I mean, that was actually the most humbling challenge when I was faced with the fact that though I believed I was not a disciple of Jesus, was when they asked me, well, what is a disciple? And I couldn't tell them. I didn't know the scriptures. I couldn't point to where it would be. I was blank. I tried to draw all my religious denominational twisted scripture stuff and they would show the Bible and it would be denounced. They could show me every single passage of what Jesus says, his words, what it means to follow him. I tell you, that's a powerful thing later when I learned those things and now I can actually share them with someone else. I don't need notes in front of me. I know them because they changed my life. They changed yours. Are you changing someone else's? We're all called to make disciples. It's not just the leader, minister. All of us are called. 
says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded and just command them to go and make disciples. So that applies to all of us. But we got to have the word. How can you teach others if you're not learning yourself? Amen? Acts 8, verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Ooh, this guy's pretty insightful. Then Philip began, pulled out his little notebook. Okay, you got to do, no. He just began with that very passage of scripture. And where did he take it? To the good news about Jesus. We learned two things from this passage. Seven. The seventh thing we learned about biblical evangelism. Becoming a disciple requires humility. Requires humility on the part who deliver the message. We got to be humble because if we're arrogant, we're prideful, we're going to turn people off. I've done that. I've made that mistake. I mean, as a young disciple, I'm like thankful someone showed me the way. I was a little overzealous with my family. I came home, you're all going to hell! You're not Christians! I was so stupid. Okay? That was not helpful. We got to be humble too. But you know what? To become a disciple, it requires a lot of humility. This important official was willing to be taught by a complete stranger. I'll bet one equipped with the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. The eighth thing we learn, the message must be and always be the good news about Jesus. I don't invite people to our church because we could be wrong. I invite people to Jesus. And if we all are invited to Jesus and we all come to be like Jesus, the church part will work itself out. Are we talking about Jesus or are we just talking about our opinion, our experience, our interpretation? The message must always be about Jesus. You convert someone to the church, the minute the church disappoints them, they're gone. You convert someone to Jesus, then even when they're disappointed, they got to deal with Jesus. While he's on the cross going, I died for you. A little harder just to walk away, you know what I'm saying? Guys, we got to really think about that. Do we know the message of Jesus? Who he is, what he did, what it meant, and who he is now, alive for us, in us, through his spirit. we got to have the message of Jesus, amen? amen? Acts 8, verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. Funny how God works things out like. Remember where they're at? The desert. Hey, if God wants to save someone, he will find a way. Okay? I've seen this before. I remember a story. Someone that was in the rock during a, a soldier. You know, they're out in the middle of the desert, but there was a disciple studying the Bible with a fellow soldier. And the guy came to an understanding. He's like, man, I got to get baptized. I mean, the Bible says repent and be baptized. There's no water. So don't worry about that. God knows your heart. If you really want to do this, you really want to obey God, God will provide. The very next day, truck comes in, drops off this little bathtub full of water. They're all like, let's go. Boom. Next day, it was gone. I'm saying, God will work it out. So here's this guy. He's reading about the suffering servant. I don't understand this. Who is he talking about, himself or someone else? Philip, who was sent by the Spirit. See the orchestration of God here? How he wants to work, how he wants to use you? Brings him to it. Philip's going, oh yeah, baby, I could talk from that. Let me tell you about that suffering servant. In fact, it's not about the prophet. It's about Jesus. And so whatever else on that chariot ride, he's talking about Jesus. What Jesus did, 
what he commanded, what he obviously commanded the disciples who commanded him, who gave him the power of the Spirit, who gave him the message. So he shared the same thing. It shouldn't change. The plan of salvation should be the same as it was in the beginning. It should be in the end. And so they were talking, they were sharing, and look what happens. As they traveled along, they came to some water, and he said, look, here is water. Where'd that come from? What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Wait a minute. How did you come to that question? You were talking about a suffering servant. We're in Isaiah, baby. We haven't even gotten to Acts. It's still being lived out. How did you get to that question? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Woo! Get to that in a moment. And the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Number nine. In biblical evangelism, baptism is always proclaimed. Of all the things the eunuch could say, he asks about baptism. See, when Philip told the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message must have included the faith response from repentance and baptism. That's the only way. It's the only logical understanding, the only explainable reason how he could possibly have known to ask that question. See, Philip taught the same message of salvation that Jesus taught and that Peter taught in Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized. That's amazing. Guys, we got to get away from this false doctrine, these twisted ways of salvation. we got to get back to the Bible and do what it says. We, not, we should not be ashamed of it. We may get persecuted for it when we get confronted about it, but you know what? They can argue with God. It's not my doctrine. It's God's. And if in some way or some form we get led astray, we lead you astray, then show the Bible. And if we don't repent, move on. Follow Jesus. Follow his teachings. If I'm not giving his teachings, then don't listen to me. But I don't want to tell you something that's wrong. I'm held accountable as a messenger, just as you are. Do you know the message? Do you know the plan of salvation? Philip knew it. He didn't have a Bible, guys. They didn't have one yet. But he used the passage that he had. He used Isaiah and taught this man how to become a follower of Jesus. He taught him that, man, this is what Jesus did. He died for you, for your sins. Wow, what sins? Oh, let's talk about that. You know, it's funny you have Isaiah. Do you have 59, 1 through 2, how sin separates you from God? It's pretty funny he had that passage, right? He had Isaiah 53. That's the one he was reading and quoting. So he had a good chance. He had 59 there. So maybe, maybe Phil just went right over. Let's go over to this. There's no chapters, just a scroll. So he had to go down. Hey, look at this one. Surely, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is near too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. <gasps> well, what are iniquities? Funny you say that. Let's read a little bit more in Isaiah, because, man, he goes after some sin of Israel. Well, what do I do now? That's what Jesus gives us. And he began to talk about what Jesus did and how he had to die for that sin. But because he was raised again, if we repent and if we turn to him and believe in Jesus and we're baptized for the forgiveness of sins, then we will give that same spirit that raised Jesus and you'll have a new life. And that's why the eunuch left. Even when Philip was taken away, he rejoiced. He didn't freak out. 
Because he wasn't converted to Philip. He wasn't converted to a church. It was just Philip at that moment. He's converted to Jesus, and he rejoiced. And later, tradition tells us there was a vast and growing church back in Ethiopia because of this man. What could God do with you or the person you meet? This leads us to the last point of biblical evangelism. The Spirit will continue to lead us to new opportunities. I mean, that was an amazing way for the Spirit to lead Philip. Suddenly took Philip away. That would make evangelism really exciting for all of us. Wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, you're at home, doing your homework, and all of a sudden, poof, bing. Oh, oh, hey, you, I want to share the message with you. I mean, you had to be on your toes. You had to be ready. You'd be, hate to be caught in sin when you're sent. You know what I'm saying? That would be embarrassing. Yeah, see, we all got a little nervous there, didn't we? Yeah. I don't know. It, it never says the Spirit couldn't do that again today. I'm glad it doesn't. I don't know if I'd be ready. But hopefully we are. Be ready for every opportunity. Guys, the Spirit's not done with us. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you have shared the mess with someone, but you got turned down over and over again. Maybe your family members. Maybe a coworker. Maybe a neighbor. Maybe even your own child. But you know what? The Spirit's not done with you. Keep letting the Spirit lead you to more opportunities. It's not about us converting them. That's their response. Our response is simply to obey God and share the gospel where the Spirit leads us. It ends in Acts 8, verse 40. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let me give you a little bit of background real quick. He was in Gaza. He baptized the eunuch, and then immediately the Spirit just took him away. And the next we find him is in Azotus, which is about 19 miles away. Wow. No cars, just boop, boop. There he was. But then it says that he continued to preach all the way to Caesarea. That's another 60 miles. We don't hear about Philip again until chapter 21. 20 years later in the chronological story. And guess what? We still find him in Caesarea. See, the Spirit may lead us to opportunities in new places, far and wide, 19 miles, 60 miles, or he may keep you in the same place for 20 years to continue to share the message. So what have we learned from this story of the eunuch today? Let's recap what true biblical evangelism is about. And let us not forget, this is a call, a great commission, a command to all of us who claim to follow him. That we need to live this way, not just do it. Amen? Amen. Number one, God is interested in the salvation of every individual. God knows the spiritual condition of that individual. We cannot be selective in whom we share the message. The Spirit desires to be active in our evangelism. The message must be explained to be understood. The Word of God is essential in evangelism. Becoming a disciple and making one requires humility. The message must be the good news about Jesus. And in biblical evangelism, baptism is always proclaimed in that plan of salvation. And the Spirit will continue to lead us to new opportunities. Next week, we get to see the work, Spirit work powerfully in the life 
of Saul, the very one who was persecuting the early church. Let's leave today. Let's let the Spirit lead you, lead me, lead us to someone and share the message of Jesus. Let us close with a prayer. We'll be dismissed. Lord God, we are humbled to see how much you care about every individual. And yet, God, we're amazed that though you could send your angels, your spirit, even yourself, you want to send us sinners, forgiven and unforgiven. You want us to become your followers so that we embrace grace. And maybe that's the point. Maybe if, if someone else was sent, they wouldn't understand grace. But someone who's been forgiven can share what it feels like, can share the victory and the power that comes through you. God, I hope we'll never forget what you've done for us. And so as your spirit leads us, whether it picks us up and drops us somewhere else, whether it's simply just a nudge in our heart or in our mind, help us to share the message of Jesus. God, we know that how they respond is on their hands. But help us to be gentle. Help us to be bold. Help us to be humble. And help us to be loving. To give them the best opportunity. We are thankful for those you sent to us. You knew where we were at in our lives. And you sent someone to help us see the way. Equip us, Lord. Empower us, Lord. Let the Spirit lead each and every one of us to a greater conviction of what biblical evangelism is really all about. It's about sharing the message of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.